You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Well, these are two wonderful books, and they have a lot in common, even though they work very different territories, because both of them reveal to us secret worlds beneath our worlds that the people who live in them are very familiar with. And you both do fabulous jobs of introducing us to those worlds and to these people who live these very special lives. What I'd like to ask both of you is when you first encountered your characters, Lisa yours and, and I use yours, did you know what the worlds they were going to live in would be like? Did you know what they would encounter? Or did you create that as the front of surfing a, a wave of, of prose? Lisa, did you? Wow, now I, I can't, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Um, I think I created the characters first, and I really liked them, and then I think I, I created a, a world for them to live in. And a lot of the characters were based on people I knew in college, so it was kind of a way to get back to college and, and, and fun. <laughs> Ais? Uh, I think... I had written some. I had written another novel um, that I'd sent out uh, for publication, and um, people wrote back. They were like, "You know, it's, it's really good. It's really interesting. I really like it. I, I call it like the best set of rejection letters I've ever gotten." Um, but they were like, "It's a little too complex. Can you make it simpler?" Which is, you know, every writer loves to hear that. Um, <laughs> so I kind of um, I knew the world. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna do what I I'm gonna do what I love reading, which is like murder mysteries. Um, I'm gonna do that in this world. Um, so I guess the world came first, but um, yeah, I guess the world came first, but the characters sort of flesh it out in this sort of obvious way. Does that make sense? Well, now uh, it seems that you guys kind of came at it from from different. Different, uh, different places, which is really interesting to me because that, that I love this concept of secret worlds that, that you know, these, because both these books um, could be set happening right now somewhere where, whether we know it or not, and right. very close in your case. Uh, Lisa, when, as you, um, once you had this, this set of characters that you were going to uh, reanimate from your path, from your, from your, <laughs> Wild, vivacious youth. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> <laughs> gotta read this book, <laughs> <laughs> Talk about uh, creating, you know, the 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 world they live in, and the, you know, their what sets them apart from our world. Because I love what you do. I think that's a really, it's such a great uh, the way you work us into it. And, and and we heard this. You take us literally on a journey from where we are to where they are. And I think that that's a really great way to get us into their world. And right off the bat, you know, there's something kind of, you see just little things are slightly off. I guess now that 
Now that I think of it, okay, so I, I had the idea that, um, that Napa Valley would be a great place for a, a family who had secrets because, you know, it's, it's kind of an enclave. It kind of exists within itself, and, um, and it, it's not really close to, it's not that close to the, you know, Oakland or Berkeley or whatever. And so, um, so that's why I put them there. And then I had them um, have, and then I, I wanted them to have a history. I wanted um, there to be like a long past for this family, some kind of something secret that carried down through the generations. So um, I, I figured out their genealogy, or a lot of it, anyway. Now, uh, Aiz, when you created your, you had your complex novel, I can I why would anybody reject a novel being too complex? That's just what makes them fun to read. I, <laughs> what I said. my brain just boggles at the the way people think sometimes. But um nonetheless, this novel is a rockin' piece of little dynamite that kicks our butts. Um so uh, did you I have did you have to journey back cuz it sounds like uh, uh Lisa had to go, you know, wind herself back in time to create you know, where the people came from. Did you find yourself doing the same thing? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's in definitely in part memory and um, it's memory and fantasy, you know? <laughs> Sometimes memory and fantasy equals science fiction. Um, yeah, it's uh, places that I've been, um, places that I've heard about, people I've met. Um, it's all pastiche of sort of, you know, narratives that like, you know, there, there's only so much you can live. And then there's, um, I love listening to other people's stories and hearing how they've lived. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I've taken sort of some of that without plagiarizing, because that would be wrong. Um, <laughs> but like <laughs> taking some of that. <laughs> Never plagiarize someone else's story. Um, but I've taken other people's sort of stories that they've told me and people that I've met in the past and sort of, um, they've all been characters and um, pieces. And I guess I should just be real about like sort of the love interest in this of being like sort of one of my first romantic endeavors. It's like sort of tinted with that. <laughs> now I want to read it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think what what drives both these books too is is a strong sense of stories, both the 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 overall arc of the novel and the stories within the, the stories. Mm -hmm. So, Lisa, this book, your book, is really rife with that. I mean, it's just like a yeah, uh, so it's it's like a piece of architecture where you know it's like those Mayan temples where you've got all the the pictures of the astronauts in it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, tell us about creating the uh, the stories of the astronauts. It's got a. Um, a fairy tale that was supposedly um, censored out of Grimm's fairy tales. And so I had to make up this fairy tale. So I read um, all of Grimm's fairy tales. There's apparently like, I don't know, 300 of them or something. Some of them are very short. And then I just went and wrote one. And um, it, it was very easy, actually. It was very easy to just take the the style and, and write. You know, it's very pared down and... Um, you know, not a, no characterization, just you know, poor woodcutter or whatever, and and it and um, so I get and then I read this review that said um, 
it's a fairy tale I never heard before. So they thought that it was real. So I thought, wow, oh that's God. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, you know, it's more like those, um, oh, what do they call it, trompe l'oeil, you know, the, uh -huh. where you paint something and it looks real. So that's sort of what I was trying for. Well, that, I mean, you read 300 fairy tales. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's a, quite a bit of research, but you did a lot of research yeah. for this, didn't you? So I found out some interesting things about the Brothers Grimm, which... Um, well, tell us. Well, that they, yeah. you know, people think that they went around and, and went to um, peasants, peasant families, and, and wrote down these fairy tales. And actually, they went to their friends and wrote down these fairy tales. So they were really mostly um, middle class people who had who made these things up, or or not didn't make them up, but had them um, passed down from generation to generation. And they were kind of um, kind of took the easy way out, you know. They just they asked around, people would write them and send them to them. And, and then the other thing I thought was interesting was they changed a lot of the women's characters. So the women were. Like they had them um, do more housework, like um, Snow White did more housework wow. for the, yeah, for the seven dwarves. Like she didn't really, in the first draft, she just, I don't know what she did really, she was just there. And, um, and they, there's this like German um, ideal of the perfect woman who, you know, stays in the kitchen and does housework. So they did a lot of that, but well, yeah. That's interesting. It sounds like the Brothers Grimm were less s scrupulous than yeah. uh, they, 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 they didn't even bother to change the stories. <laughs> and there were, there were all these different versions, so they can track them back and mm -hmm. see what the changes were. So it was really interesting. Boy, that sounds good. Now, did you put your own uh, fairy tale through those kind of changes? No. Your fairy tale. Yeah, that was just a little, that would be a little too much. I used to talk about just developing the, the backstory for your novel, which is really, I mean, complicated. And that's one of the things I love about this. As you read this, we realize that we're seeing, getting a peek at a world that's much more complex yeah. than you're showing us. And I think that's one of the real powers of this novel. I mean, maybe they, they did you a favor in that. Um, I'm dying to read the, the big one. I am. <laughs> so, keep, so, keep saying that. I need another book. Um, I kind of take the... Samuel Delaney approach to, to writing science fiction where he says you write you write a world fully detailed everything that you need to, as a writer to know about the world and you put it down on paper and then you take out everything that the reader doesn't need to know and kind of what you're left with is this sort of it's this interesting thing where it's like oh yeah I know what this is about and it's like well does the reader need to know it in order to get to the next page if not let it go. Um, I thought there was a kind of a Lovecraftian feel in that. In that not, not, not that. <laughs> I just, sorry, that guy is just, ah, oh, I have so many problems with Lovecraft. I love him. And I love him and I hate him at the same time. In that, what, what Lovecraft, one of Lovecraft's strengths is that he only shows you part of things yeah. and leaves a lot to the imagination. That's what he tries to do. And he does, I mean, well, you know. I mean, I'll just go sci-fi geek for a second. Uh -huh. I think one of the re one of the ways that Lovecraft does that is by modeling after theological writing. Uh -huh. And I think one of the thing one of the genius of Lovecraft is that you know he he encapsulates the the terror of God, the terror of the unknown, uh -huh. right? And and but that's an old thing, <laughs> uh -huh. right? You know, like even you know 
as whatever as it is, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's like, don't look in the Ark, don't look in the Ark. You never see what's in the Ark. You just see it melting people's faces off, right? And it's like, that's the, um, I think that's sort of what, what, I, what I like about um, good, lean writing. Mm -hmm. It shows you the effect. It doesn't have to necessarily show you the, um, the creature. The mm -hmm. creature is the, the, you know, the, the, gold, the thing in the golden briefcase, you know, in Pulp Fiction sense, is, is, is almost irrelevant. It's not really the story. The story is what everybody does around that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think uh, that's what I try to do with elements of this, of just kind of like, here's, here's what happens as a result of this world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to know what's happening in this world, then buy the next book. Well, I'm hoping we're going to get to the next book. So can I, you really write like the whole world? Yeah. I no. mean, there was like, there were 60 pages more of this, and then I cut out the first 30, wow. and then went through and cut out another uh, 50 um, throughout the novel, and just like, sort of just pare it down, pare it down, pare it down, you know. I lose characters, I lose... Those characters, those scenes, you know, they just become reference points because it's like, well, does the reader need need this? Do they, you know, like if they don't need it, paper is expensive. <laughs> Maybe it'll change when I like, do ebooks. Yeah, and stuff. <laughs> I'll just do like five thousand pages. Yeah, books. your your trilogy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I really like um, that sense of. Uh, you know, there being such a big world. And, and we get the same thing from, from your book, too, that there's this kind of history that, you know, you give us a lot of the history, but we feel a lot of, you know, the kind of the, the pull of, of that kind of supernatural aspect of, of your book. And I'm just wondering when you are crafting this just in the prose, because I think your prose is really strong, too, both in both these books, and but it's very, very different. You're, you're giving us just like a real... Um, this is a, a very uh, kind of suburban look in, in many ways, and you you have more of a much more of a Raymond Chandler feel. That's where you're coming from, I think. So I, I talk about. I mean, those are very different ways to approach the uh, supernatural. Yeah. Well, tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess that's what I like is like seeing the supernatural in you know, suburbia or in um, just everyday life. I love that stuff. And seeing, you know, that there's something hidden, something that could be there that, you know, nothing says it couldn't be there, but you don't know about it. Only certain people know about it. That's what I love this, that both of you guys have great secret worlds. Yeah. And I think that's what the, the, the uh, you know, what do you guys think the appeal of that is, both to you as writers and to, to readers, too? Because it seems to be something that's really, you know, uh, popular when you look at stuff like the Da Vinci Code and all this stuff. I mean, which is not very particularly well executed, but it does have that feel of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you have an agreement there. Uh, I mean, I will say I, I find the uh, suburbs inc extremely, you know, supernatural. Yeah. Um, and frightening in yeah. a way. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. kind of bizarre. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, let's live 30 miles away from where we work and let's all have our houses look exactly the same. <laughs> like the creepiest movie ever to me was The Stafford Wives. 
Um, like I don't like forget like mass market horror and big monsters. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Does it make does it make you the same? Like do, like do living in those houses make yeah. individuals the yeah. same? You know. Um, I mean, it's you know, yeah. Well, surprise. There's weird things in the deserts of Morocco. Yeah, like of course in my book, like you're gonna <laughs> see that. But like weird things in like suburbia, America. That that's far creepier. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you have a, some really nice uh, history uh, in your book, just uh, in terms of, you know, the history of wine country, which I think really lent itself to, you know, the the creation of this this family, and when you architected this family and, and put them in wine country, um, how much of that came out of your research? Well, I did a whole lot of research on wine country. Almost none of it made it into the book. So <laughs> I had this. Actually, I do have this whole backstory about Livy becoming a chemist because she um, went down to you know the wineries and looked to see how the wine was made, and and this old guy teach you know from Europe teaching them how to make wine, and that never fit in. So, and then there was that um, book that you recommended. Uh-huh. You remember this? The, the, it's like the when the rivers ran red. Right. right I was. Right. I was trying to find out um, if what they did during Prohibition, if they smuggled wine. And I needed them to smuggle wine, and I needed it to be out in the ocean. And I was reading this, read, and it was all about, you know, the, the East Coast, or it was about yeah. things coming down from Canada, which, you know, I was thinking, well, I could make them, you know, go down from Canada on the ocean, but that doesn't really make much sense. You Didn't know? wine not blow up in California until the 60s? Early 70s? Well, no, they had it since, um, yeah, it was. It became really popular in the okay. 60s. I could tell you all about it if you really <laughs> want to know. Because they won a, a, a blind taste test with French. French wine. Yeah, yeah. Right. so that's when people started noticing California wines. But, um, oh, but they had that box not wine stuff, right? I watched that, uh, what's his name, the Prohibition documentary. Oh, yeah, I watched part of that. We're talking about they had like uh, oh. fake wine that you could just add rubbing alcohol to drink. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> box them or something. So yeah, so I was like, and then I found that then he recommended this book. It was amazing. It was one of these um, these readings, and I was saying, God, I need this thing, and and it had just come out. And so, um, and the they author was appearing. here, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, she was appearing here. <laughs> And it was perfect. It was like, oh, well, of course they would smuggle wine. There wasn't, the Bay Bridge didn't exist, so they smuggled wine across the, the bay to San Francisco. I was like, oh, cool, okay. <laughs> well, you know, actually I talked to a guy about the, the uh, chemistry stuff. That's a big deal now. Yeah. I mean, because there's, there's, they, they've got uh, wine identified. They. There's a there are pe- there's a whole contingent of people who feel that you don't need to have that all this foo foo wine tasting stuff is BS and all you have to do is look at the chemistry and you can figure out whether it's oh. good wine or not and it, so there's a whole bunch of people plebeians who, who are out there yeah <laughs> there's a there, there's a uh, in fact there's two people uh, there's a guy. Uh, Bonnie Doon, who's the Bonnie Doon guy, is the representative of the people who are kind of the wild artists of wine. And then there's another guy who's up, I think, in Napa, who's like, you know, total chemist head, who's just, you know, has, again, they have it just nailed down to literally a science. Well, there really was this old guy from Europe who Mm -hmm. was like, you know, who'd go from winery to winery and do this 
artistry, I guess it was. And, mm -hmm. and he was fascinating, and I wanted to put him in, but I just, you know, there was nowhere for him to go. Well, I you know, one of the things I, I love about your book is is the kind of the, the the travel aspect of it because you kind of take us to this big world and you know Europe and Morocco and all these you know different places. So I, you've been some of those places, but you do a good job at in a small book covering a lot of ground. Thanks. Um, yeah, I just uh, it's that it's that same sort of thing. It's like um, have you ever been to a place and like what you remember most is the snapshots that you took. You know, like, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I was there. I know I was there. <laughs> but I remember more taking this picture than the crappy hotel, the, like, bad food. You know, like, it's it's sort of that thing. It's like trying to figure out um, what's, what's important about, about the place. Morocco um, kind of holds this really special place for me um, just because I've been going there since I was, like, 16, 17. Um, so I, I, I gave it... I gave it the sense of home mm -hmm. that, um, in some ways, it, it actually is for me. Um, London, I always have this like love, like it's like I love it, and then I hate loving it, and like sometimes London loves me back, and sometimes it's like, what are you doing here? Um, so it's like, it's all about relationships, you know. And I think um, what I like writing about is contentious relationships, and doesn't necessarily have to be between people. It can be between a person and a place, you know. And I think Taggart, the main character. I think that's sort of his whole, mm -hmm. his whole thing of like, what is my relationship with, whatever. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The people or the place he's in or or whatever or what he's doing at any given yeah, moment. Exactly. That's an interesting observation. You know. Now both of you guys have great. I mean, the also part of the appeal of these novels is you have really superbly, um, convincing, uh, supernatural. Um, Backdrops. I mean, that's what I, you know, when you're reading these books like this, you, you know, the the secret chocolate core of them is, is you know, the, <laughs> the the good supernatural scenes. We, I mean, we love all the characters. You, you got to get us going with. I mean, you know, none of that would matter right. if you don't have great prose and great characters and a good plot to carry us there. Right. But when we get, I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, when we get to that secret center we want that secret center to be really rocking and right. both of you manage that so i'm wondering how much you um how much of that comes in advance and how much of it comes as a result of all the the superstructure that you have to build to get there mm -hmm. so uh, lisa i mean you have a, a wonderful superstructure yeah. and i love the i mean the the, the supernatural aspect is so it's so it's just so um Seems very real to me. I think it came. This is I, this is one of those things I can't remember. It's like those photographs. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't remember all the hard work. Um, it came while I was writing it. Mm -hmm. So I was, and this book was really, really hard to write. So I kept writing and rewriting and rewriting. And there's a lot that never made it. So I think um, I just kept working on it until I got it to where I wanted it. Until I got. Um, what I wanted in it. So, yeah, it took a while. Well, that, I think one of the things, too, is that, you know, the way it's wedded to the characters and to the, you know, the, the, the story, because the, also the, the supernatural aspect in your book, you know, is really at its core, it's a story. And that's something that I think that's really appealing to us, because that's how we, you know, we define ourselves by stories. I think that was... That was 
in my mind from the beginning, mm-hmm. but I like I wasn't sure what was going on really. It was what the story would be. Oh well, that's what 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 it works out to be is really a, you know compelling and rich. That's what I love. This book is like I mean, given that it's set in wine country, this book is kind of like reading a glass of wine, mm. a glass of really <laughs> good wine, as it were, has all that kind of complex <laughs> and flavorful and you know ripples through you. Now yours is more like you know, two belts of really good scotch. <laughs> it's a different, like it's a different, like it's a different vibe, but yeah. it's equally, uh, you know, it still kind of kicks your butt. So yeah, it's going to burn when it goes down. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, sorry, give, give me the question again. Uh, ta- I've, I've had two glasses of wine. <laughs> well, you should have had two shots of scotch. I know. I <laughs> uh, uh, talk about just uh, the supernatural aspect of your stuff, oh. because, I mean, I, Yours is a kind of book that could go like one way or another. It could just seem it's my cheesy. Whole life. Yeah, yeah, it could seem very completely cheesy, but totally. it, it doesn't read that way. It reads. I really thought it was going to be totally cheesy when I first read it. No, it's um, it's rocking good. You know, I the thing is like I I read I've read comics from the time I was seven years old, mm-hmm. and I've had this fundamental question at the core of my my being of. If you had superpowers, why would you dress up in tights and help people? Like it just, it, like it just from you know. And I have a degree in psychology, and I still don't. I feel it's like not, it's not in the realm of human conception. If you are given or somehow acquire superhuman abilities to run around in tights and help people, that just that's not what people do. Like when you look at cops, you look at the psychology of cops. They're not people that, if they didn't have a gun, would be out there helping people. Like, they're not the ones that would stop in the middle of traffic if somebody got hurt and, like, you know, be like, hey, everybody move. You know, like, they're doing that because it's their job. So it's like, well, let's look at what actually happens if people have abilities that other people don't have. Like, what does that look like? And what it looks like is kind of bizarre. It looks like there's these, I mean, you have to go to, my reference is, is royalty. Mm-hmm. Because royalty has this idea, or back in the day, had this idea that somehow, so the divine right of kings or whatever, that they were set aside from the rest of humanity. Well, if you feel that way, then what is humanity equal to you? If you're better than humanity, and you have the ability to hurt humanity, you're scary. <laughs> so, like, you know, sort of in the book, it was like I had to, um, people that I had to surround Taggart with were people who were on his level. Mm-hmm. Because people who weren't on his level, I mean, really, when you look at the book, like, he doesn't really acknowledge them. He doesn't, no. And <laughs> it, the book has a really interesting look at, you know, it, it makes you kind of think of where you draw the dividing line for what's human. Right. Because, you know, what there's... Are these people gods? Do we worship them? Or, right. And the with the you know with the um, with the demise of religion in the censors and all of that. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a long quote I can read you here from Stendhal Lem. I refrain from doing so. Please but, do. I love him. But uh, you can. Uh, we no longer, you know, who we worship is kind of, you know, it's changed. And, and our relationship now with, you know, the superheroes, there's a book by Grant Morrison all about, yeah. you know, super gods. Yeah, I read that. And, and it's, it's an interesting, you know, thought, look at, at who and what we worship and why. Yeah, and I think what I, what I am writing about and want to write about is um, 
what would it mean uh what would it mean to be worshipped like what Mm -hmm. like i mean this is a jack kirby sort of title but it's a it's i think it's a 21st century idea like who are the new gods like what do the new gods look like what is worthy of worship what is um what is valid and what is valid about humanity that we want to keep going despite the entropy of the universe sorry to get so morbid and like two seconds but i feel like that is like the the question of like how do we keep um how do we keep hope going not Mm -hmm. in an obama sense but in the sort of um human human potential sense Mm. and i think there are some very good ways and very good reasons to keep that going um that i will be exploring in my next novel (laughs) (laughs) plugging my publisher told me to keep up is it is gonna fall is it gonna be a, a another taggart novel uh, it's Taggart's, Taggart's in it, but ta- well, no, Taggart's not in the the one that I'm working on right now. But um, it's it's that world, and it's it's that same question of like, no, seriously, people with abilities. What do you like? If you have people who can do things that no other person can do, that you cannot get those skills from training or drugs or whatever, they are exceptional human beings. What do we do with them? Like I, I just think that's a really valid question. We lock them up in a mansion in wine country. (laughs) (laughs) They can make good wine for us. That's the way our ancestors have done it for years. (laughs) Uh, Lisa, you know your 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 characters, uh, you know have have you know abilities that are not human and have lives that are not exactly what the rest of suburbia lives, but they've done something to get that. So I'd like you to just talk about that aspect of your work, you know, of that kind of, you know, the, the, there's a bit of a Faustian. Yeah, well, uh, the, the characters make a bargain with, um, all the fairy tale or many of the fairy tales I read were about making a bargain with, um, people in the fairy world and how that, um, you know, well, how that plays out in their life. Like, um, so in this, in this book, they made a bargain with the fairy world where they just get um, good fortune. They and their ancestors, their descendants, get good fortune for forever, but there's a big price to pay, and in each generation, somebody has to pay the price. And the main character um, is in love with this, the woman who has to pay the price that generation, and he says, no, we're not going to do it anymore. So that's the... Um, the story is about how he he tries to get out of it, so I was interested in that and how, um, you know, what it, what I guess what it would be really like to be in a fairy tale and, you know, somebody says here you can have you know this cauldron that you know makes money or whatever and would you do what would you do for it you know how far would you go for it? Would you be the head of Blackwater? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> well, too, both, you know, one of the things, too, I think that these bo- books both have really, um, like, tightly, tightly architected plots. I mean, these are both, you know, very um, intense books to read. It, it, they're, you know, very compact. Um, you already told us how much you put what, it seems like you cut this book in half, mm-hmm. just yeah. about. Yeah, I wrote it in a month. Um, really? Yeah. I just like sat down and just, I was so angry at my rejections mm-hmm. that I should, I know, I should just get used to it. No, no. <laughs> then you wouldn't have written the book. That's true. <laughs> 
Um, and basically, like, if I didn't, um, I woke up at 5.30, and if I wasn't at the gym, I was writing. And then if I was at the gym in the morning when I came home, before I did anything else, I just wrote for three hours. And then in the end, it ended up, like, boom. That was my birthday gift to myself. Now, did you, when, when you uh, conceived the plot, did you know what was going to happen? Or? I didn't conceive the plot. I started writing. Oh. <laughs> I was like, all right, then, nah. And then, nah, I was going to be weird fights with bones growing out of people's necks and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I just, I just went on with it. Uh, a novel of good parts. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was the goal. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, how did you come up with a novel of good parts? That's, I did exactly the same thing. I just wrote it. But it was, like I said, it was really hard. I mean, I see why people outline because yeah. I would have all these, <laughs> these like false moves, you yeah. know, going down this one alley that was like, you know, what am I doing here, you know? That's why you can cut. You yeah, know? yeah, but like, I mean, oh, it was it was like a month's worth of work, and then I had to cut it all back. That didn't work. Okay, what about this, you know? And, and I've had books where I've outlined them, and they seem to work, but I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot more fun to just write it and see where it's going. Well, because here's my thing with outlining, and tell me how you feel about it, but like, my thing is like, if I outline the book, I know how it ends. Yeah. And if I know how it ends, I don't want, why would I write it? Yeah. Like, I know what happens. I'm bored now. Well, I, I, have, I have a real hard time <laughs> outlining because it kind of, it, it should go organically. It should, you yeah. know, it should grow out of the story. So I'm sitting there going, oh, I guess this could happen, you know? And, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about writing something that really needs to be outlined, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> don't outline it. Just go. Well, this is it, good. This I is... know, but it needs it needs more complex plotting. Mm -hmm. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Plotting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, how do you know? How do you know that it needs outlining? I, I mean, why not just? Because Pursued I want to write um, a time travel novel, uh -huh. and and it, and and you know, well, this happens, but did this happen before this? And do they know this? And you know, spreadsheet time, yeah, or database. So I'm, I'm looking at it and going, do I really want to do this? Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to write something else. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll give it up. I take the like movie approach. I'm like, we'll fix it in post. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, looking back, it's because it's usually just like one or two sentences that you have to tweak, and you're like, oh, I'll just put that 30 pages earlier. Cool. Not me. No, no? I'm just no. I mean, there was one book where I ended up with this extra character. I just thought, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw this character in and see what happens. I like the character, and then I had to take the character out. I had to go all the way back and take the character out. So. Well, it's kind of like writing a time travel novel. You just took them out of the timeline, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can uh, do the same thing with your time travel novel. That's why the space gods made wormholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, one of the things I think that is interesting about the way you guys both approach novels, you could write this, you know, kind of tell the stories about these people without having powers or without having fairy tales. Um, I like the secret chocolate nougat at the center, and a lot of people do. Mm. But I mean, it, what made you decide to put that there? Why not just write a story about wine country or write a story about a guy who's seeking revenge? 
Um, I think those stories are boring. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I love, I really do like those stories of some secret nougat, like you said. I mm -hmm. mean, I love, like, um, Tim Power's stories, you know, mm -hmm. where he, he's got some kind of secret history that, I don't know if you've read them. Oh, yeah, no, I love that kind of yeah, stuff. It's Tim Power's like, Secret Histories. Yeah. The like, world behind the world. Right, like it could have happened that way, you know, uh -huh. but well, all we, we, saw, don't, we don't know it didn't happen that way. Sure, yeah, we see. We saw a set of events, and we just right. didn't see what was behind them. Right. Well, I, I kind of like the, the feeling, too, that, you know, when we read books like this, and then we walk out into the world, it gives us, you know, you can kind of look around and I, it's, you know, a feeling of what I call omenology. You can mm -hmm. kind of look around and see all the omens for things, you know. It can, enables you to tell stories to yourself about your own world that make right. it more interesting than, well, you know, my <laughs> boss is an idiot and <laughs> can't, you know, couldn't figure his way out of a paper box. Maybe he's a demon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think that's the, you know, the nature, the word occult, you mm -hmm. know, is like the hidden. You know, it's, it's that which is sort of behind the veil. And I think, um, I think we're all kind of looking for what's behind the veil, you know, whether it's in, you know, relationships or, you know, just the human body or whatever, you know, and, and science is our primary sense-making tool of the world. But um, what if it wasn't? You know, like maybe, maybe there are things that science can't explain. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, I think it's, it's, you know, for so, for thousands upon thousands of years before we even started writing things down as a species, these were, kind, you know, mythology was our way of making sense of the world. I don't think that we should necessarily abandon that just because some upstart people with, you know, test tubes started saying they know everything about the world. I think there might still be some validity in in the occult and in the unknown. Um, and it's just kind of, I don't know, like I, it really just occurred to me last year that I didn't have to write fantastical speculative fiction stuff. Like it, ju like it, it, was, it just came to me. I was like, oh, I could write something about puppy growers and Arkansas or something. I don't know. Like I don't know. What, I don't know what like non. I mean, I read non fantastical literature, but I, you know, like it just occurred to me. Puppy grower. Like, that's that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that puppies. Even that sounds yeah. science fiction. You know, like, not like dog raisers. Puppy growers. Yeah, your you know? puppy crop this year. Exactly, yeah. You know, like sad water. Yeah, yeah. There's a puppy crop out in some unknown fields of Arkansas. <laughs> that's why they're so cute. <laughs> Well, there are two kind of things that come out of what you say. One is that I think that books like this, in many ways, are our kind of, you know, new version of the Greek myths, just ways to explain stuff to ourselves that they don't necessarily have to be real, but they explain it emotionally mm -hmm. to us, how it feels. Because the world, as, as much as we'd like to be rational, you know, our emotions do never absolutely respond to, to rational arguments. I wish they did. <laughs> so wish they did. Yeah, no, I wish I did. I would have not. There were many mistakes I would have avoided. <laughs> there were many, many events <laughs> in my <laughs> life that I could have sidestepped had I like thought, well, maybe this isn't a good idea. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I've had a few of those. <laughs> well, I mean, do you guys, when you, I, how, I'm wondering, 
because for me, I remember the first kind of stories like this I really loved were the Greek myths when I was a kid growing up. Did you guys read those? What, what did you guys start out reading that what, that took you down this path of, uh, you know? That's a good question. Why aren't you writing uh, uh, what is it, kitchen window epiphany fiction? <laughs> I, don't Stay you spend away from that one. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you for me, it was it was two things. One was uh, goddamn Chris Claremont's run on the X Men because that really just there was. A, I mean, it it talked about race, class, and gender with superheroes, and I was like, oh, okay, got it. But then the other one, and I feel reluctant saying this given his recent political stances, but um, I, I remember this day very clearly. It was fourth grade. I, was, I lived in New York. I was coming home. Um, it was Wednesday because that's New Comic Book Day, and that was when I still sold comic books on um, a newsstand. And I picked up um, a copy of uh, uh, Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, the second run of Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. And in it, for those of you that haven't read it, um, Daredevil's girlfriend sells his secret identity for a hit of smack in Colombia. And the kingpin of crime destroys not Daredevil, but his alter, his alter ego, Matt Murdock, in one issue. And I was like, that's what you can do with the story? Okay, I want to tell stories. <laughs> I was like, if that, like, if that's what you can do, if you can literally like just re reinvent a world with one, with tw it was twenty two pages. It was twenty two pages with images. Like it was like if you can do that, I was like, cool. And it was like it was smack, and it was New York, and it was Hell's Kitchen, and it was like Daredevil. It, it was like so real, but you know, like I'm looking out my window being like, where's Matt Murdock? Like, where's Daredevil? You know, I'm a kid still, so a little weird. But um, the ability to, to um, change the way that I saw the world because of a story, I was like, okay, I, I want that power. <laughs> I said superpower. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I want to be able to do that. Well, you guys both have the superpower of storytelling. <laughs> I, I will say that. You know, one thing, too, the other thing that you were talking about is how science has conditioned us to, um, you know, look at reality in a very precise way, and this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. But that's what I think is so interesting that, in a sense, since you're both science fiction writers, you're, you know, using science to undo itself, which mm -hmm. is a, a really kind of an interesting approach. Lisa? Well, I guess um, I mostly write fantasy, so I'm, I don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I just, I love... Um, Mythology. I guess I didn't. I didn't like the Greek myths so much because we had to study them in school and mm -hmm. memorize them, who they were. So I never really got that off of Greek myths. But I liked um, when I read Tolkien. That really blew me away. And then I started reading like Norse myths, and those guys were pretty, pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I liked them. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just, you know, I like the idea. I don't, you know, I like the idea of having a myth. Or some kind of story that that you believe in that that says something about yourself, and we don't really have that, you know. Mm. Or at least, I mean, I don't. I don't, you know, have sure any. Sure, you do. Well, right there. <laughs> it's, we externalize. I don't believe. I don't. I, I don't know that I believe in my own stories. I don't know, but I don't believe in any, you know, myth or religion or whatever. I'd like to, you know, I'd like just not as a not as believing in a religion, but believing in. Um, some, you know, some kind of myth, some kind of something that says something about 
the world or mm -hmm. something about um, my beliefs or my attitude towards the world. Something that that applies your emotional outlook yeah, to the yeah. creation of the world and yeah. why things work. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's what I think uh, good fiction like this does is it allows us yeah. to externalize, you know, take, you know, our twisted little tiny brains and like say, okay, um, you get what you deserve. You make a deal with the devil and you <laughs> get in, somebody's going to have to pay in. It might be somebody you care about. So right. there, take it. Or... And, and I think that's actually, that's a motif that's also in, in your book, too. That In that sense, the books are very similar. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I believe that myth was like science before science. You know, like, why is there lightning? Because yeah. Thor is pissed. You know? <laughs> like, I think, like, it's all just sense-making patterns in the world. Like, um, as, uh, as reading um, um, And the Band Played On, again, which is a, a story of, the HIV epidemic and how it how it first came out and there's this there's this myth uh, and I'll call it a myth of, of patient zero you know of this um, um, of this guy who you know went around and had sex with a whole bunch of people and and transmitted HIV and then I was listening to Radio Lab um, the other week or last week I think and they were talking about how no actually you know HIV has sort of um, populated the human the human population like multiple times since like the early 1900s mm -hmm. so but we have this myth we have this truth that there is this patient zero in fact it's become this this marker you know like you can talk about patient zero abstracted from hiv as like this typhoid mary right you know and and typhoid mary when you learned about typhoid mary there was like a thousand people running around with typhoid and there's this one woman who apparently spread it all to, to everybody. So that's another myth of like, this is truth, and we know this. And how do we know this? Because science said so. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm from a I'm from a people who, you know, you know, African Americans are science fiction. You know, like we are, our bodies are seen as less evolved. You know, like a, I I I believe in the in the the. Uh, the falseness of science. <laughs> I believe that science is made by people, and as a result, it, it, it can be flawed. And yeah, there are some very good tools in it. And, and and I'm not, you know, a luddite by any stretch of the imagination. But I think people bow to the altar of science the way they used to bow to the altar of mythology. It was just, it's just given. Mm. You know. So I believe in myth as as science fiction. Well, that's one of the things I think that. Uh, these uh, books like these do is they, you know, give us a, a, a view of our world that undermines and our own preconceptions in a way. And so it makes us say, well, you know, maybe this stuff could be happening. It, it you know, it makes emotional sense to us. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to have to deal with, you know, the crappy boss, you know, <laughs> the annoying, you know, friend of your of your wife or husband who just, just drives you batshit crazy and you just, why does this person have to exist? Well, because, that, cause, you know, my wife's side of the family has a curse and, then, <laughs> and that curse is that there's always going to be this annoying friend who's going to show up and just dominate the conversation for about 40 minutes yeah, and we're all going to sit there and go I'll write that that uh -huh. sounds good uh-huh yeah you can just write that yeah the, the fairy tale write yeah. the fairy tale about the person who makes you say uh-huh for 40 minutes <laughs> well and and if you know if this is true then anything could be true you mm -hmm. know or even if it's not true 
anything, you know, there, there could be these secret things going on that you don't know about. Well, too, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of secrets yeah. that we don't know about. I mean, Jesus H. Christ, the whole entire economy collapsed and it's still collapsing yeah. and nobody seems to really have a handle on that. And, I mean, you know, that's a lot more, you know, that's just as scary as, you know, uh, deals with fairy or, you know, people <laughs> who can, you know, set your, make your head explode. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, you know, the long-term effects of that are probably better. I'd rather have somebody, you know, out there who can make my head explode because then I wouldn't have to deal with uh, going online and paying my bills. There you go. That's, that makes my head explode very slowly. Well, that's the, you know, that's the trick of horror, right? Like, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger is not horror. Cancer, that's horror. Yeah. Freddy Krueger, ah! okay, I'm done now. You know, <laughs> like, cancer, like, you have cancer, oh, shit. You got to deal with that. Like that. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this. Yeah. But um, that's like, you know, we do horror. We do, we do things that scare us in the short term to distract us from those long term, like, how am I going to pay my bills? How, you know, what's going to happen in 30 years when there's no Social Security or whatever, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I mean, they, they serve their purpose. You know, the stories that endure, whether they're horror, whether they're science fiction, whether it's fantasy, they, they, they do something for us as a species. And I think that's... They're highly useful. Yeah. Well, um, Charles Brown at Locust once said that um, a lot. The reason he thought the reason that there were all these stories like like the Da Vinci Code or like you know the secret histories is because people were paranoid, mm -hmm. and that the more paranoid you are, the better a writer you are at, at these. <laughs> <laughs> I am the best writer in the world. Yeah, and I thought, well, I could try that. You know, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take a stab at it. And, you know, because there, we do know there's something going on. You know, there's there's always something that that the people down here don't see. You know, about the economy or the government or whatever. You know. Well, it's not paranoia if they're really. Out yeah, there. that's true. Yeah. And and something's really actually happening, and it seems beyond explanation. I mean, um, we don't need to. I'm, we're in the midst of you know many godlike. Uh, things, cracks in the world, our economic world, it's very much, Thor is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's just took the hammer to the European economy, and, and we're all going to have to pay that price, and well, there's think, no easy explanation for it. I think it goes back to what you are asking before about why, uh, you know, why write speculative fiction or fantasy or science fiction. I think it's like there's this assumption somehow that anyone, like why would you write realistic fiction? Why would you write, write realism? I think that's the real question. Like, why would you want to engage in that unless you find something that, like, no one else has seen, which to me harkens back to the same thing that is speculative fiction or fantasy, that you're uncovering a world that other people don't see. But to just look about, like, if you just look outside and you're like, I'm going to write down everything, that's boring. That's, there's nothing in that. And, mm -hmm. and I don't care how, I mean, me, I'm a genre lover from Planet One. Um, like, the the day to day is not is not exciting. <laughs> well, it's not actually exactly reality. Now we have with us in our audience, Ms. Karen Joy Fowler, who has the absolute best quote uh, with regards to why we should write speculative fiction. I'm going to ask her to step up to the <laughs> microphone and give us this quote, so I can have her tell us this. I would be so happy to do that if I had a clue what you were talking about. 
<laughs> your, your, your famous quote about our previous government. Uh, that just that, um, thank you, just that uh, a world in which Arnold Schwarzenegger can be governor of California is not really a world that realism is quite up to portraying. <laughs> And I think this is this is a, you know really uh, this is an important thing to remember that um, there are so many things in our world that are actually real that just don't make a lot of sense, and it's nice to know that um, there are people who can you know not only heal you but hurt you. They can reverse that process. There are people who have made deals with fairies and they're having a very tough time of it trying to deal with the consequences of that of that uh, deal and it's nice to know that there are writers who can tell those stories now we have a, a, a more additions to the audience Does anybody, anybody have any questions for the writers um, is, is, so, so are, there, are there multiple writers here? Lisa Goldstein okay. the uncertain places Set in wine country, where a family has made a deal that has unfortunate consequences. And Aie's here, who's writing a story about some very bad people who can do very bad things for good and bad reasons. <laughs> I would highly recommend both of these novels. This is Raymond Chandler writing uh, superheroes, and but better than that sounds in 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 uh, things. And here is uh, the sister Grimm writing about. Uh, oh, I like that. <laughs> writing about wine country and why you when you drink that wine, well maybe it has gets you a better buzz than you expected. <laughs> You're writing my next blurb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. I was thinking, I have to write this down. If we have no questions, then... Can I have some questions? Oh, yes, uh, Karen. Uh, Lisa, you've written many, many novels. Is it as much fun as it used to be? <laughs> Is it more fun? Well, I'll answer that if I can ask you the same thing. <laughs> um, it is, but I have to sort of try to do something different every time which is getting really hard because I'm running out of things to do. <laughs> That's why I thought I would do a time travel because I've never done that, so I want to try that. So what about you? I, I guess, yeah, very much the same sort of answer. I feel that um, I've done all the things I do well. <laughs> yeah. Many times. I know how that feels, all that's yeah. Left is the things that I don't actually do very well. And now I have to write a novel using only things I don't do very well. And it's um, adventurous, but um, no, I would not say that I'm having fun at this exact moment. I'm not believing that there's some part, part of a novel that either of you can't do extremely well. Well,. <laughs> I think Raymond Chandler's Supernatural, I think I couldn't do well. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't see myself doing that. Okay. You, your, your forte is, is different, is it? Yeah. I mean, sir, how long have you been writing and what are you looking forward to writing? What do you think? Is there something that you think you, that you'd be interested in writing that you maybe couldn't? Is there something, I mean... I'm not interested in it. I don't want to write it. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I, I 
I just want to I want to eat off of my writing, which is I think the the best thing that you can do as a writer. I don't know that's the highest aspiration a writer should have to be able to survive off of their own writing. I still somebody when I was younger offered to teach me how to uh, copy edit, and I and I. I rejected that and I, and I kicked myself in the ass every day for that because I would have woken up every day and, and written um, and looked at writing um, and instead I have to get a, another job. Um, so I think... Actually, I've done copy editing and it's not all that fun. I, I, but at least it's like, right, you know... We like, read a lot of uh, like bad stuff. I just feel like it makes your, your stuff better. I don't know. Yeah, Learn from probably, others' mistakes, yeah. you know. Yeah. But like I just yeah, for me it's just if I can live off of writing, then I'm that's the period on the end of my sentence. That's one of the things I want to do with my life. Miss Fowler, you had more questions. I did. Um, I, I'm thinking about this, these secret worlds, and um, I guess um, I, I'm not sure exactly what I want to ask. But there's a there's a sense in the in the idea of a secret world of a, a kind of master plan you know that maybe we don't see it but that um you know there, there's an intelligence at work in, in some sort of way and and the older i get the more i begin to feel that the world is is really run by idiots <laughs> and, um, and, the, and the idea of a secret world and a master plan is kind of a comforting one as opposed to the lunatics who appear to be actually running the world. Um, and I just, I wondered if you find the idea of a secret world um, a scary idea, a, a realistic idea? Um, I like the idea of a secret world run by idiots. No, I think God. that's what we're. That's, I think that's what we're living in. Well, that's. I can. I can quote Charles Brown again. I never thought I'd be quoting him so much, but he said um, that a lot of the people who write um, mythology, fantasy, or um, secret world type stuff are Catholic, like, like Tolkien, Tolkien and Tim Powers, and that they grow up with this super super. Um, like world building, like this this world that really cherubs and yeah angels that and that Ephraim makes and, yeah. makes a lot of sense internally. You know, if you step away from it and look at it, maybe it doesn't make that much sense, but it's all there, and you can build off of it. And it's and that was another thing that I kind of regretted. It's like, well, you know, maybe I could have I could have used that upbringing, but I don't know, maybe not, <laughs> probably not. But <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't find that. I don't see a, um, you know, some a, a order to most things that go on. So maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it is comforting that to have a secret world or a, some kind of somebody calling the shots that we don't know about, because the ones we know about aren't doing such a good job. <laughs> it's an alternative. It's a secular alternative to religion in a sense. Yeah. Well, there's this, um, I mean, it's, it's debated, but there's a psychological effect called the Harrison effect, which basically says that um, people behave more morally if they believe they're being observed. And I think that's part of the function of religion, of like, there's always someone watching, so act right, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. And I think it is kind of a comforting, 
comforting view that if you if you construct this realistic, you know, otherworldly observation, then you have the sense that even if things are going wrong, there will be some balancing out in the future. You know, if it doesn't come out in the week, it'll come out in the chat sort of thing. And I think, um, but my otherworldly stuff isn't necessarily um, comforting. You know, <laughs> it's not that everything's gonna come out all, you know, bunnies and roses. Um, <laughs> you know, like there may. No, the gods are just as flawed as us, and they're and and they're able to explode up your head. I think it's more like you know what the gods don't really care. <laughs> like the gods don't really care about us. There are other people that they care about. Now what? And it's like oh, you know. And it's like well, what's their story? Where are they at? What's you know like? And then you know when you do sort of at least in this like peel it back, you're like oh, there is some very human. There are some very human concepts in there that if had been adhered to, and this world, you know, things might have been better. Like, for me, in, in this novel, the, and I think I realized this the other day, and everything that I've written, the most horrific character is the mother. <laughs> <laughs> I have problems. Um, I'll admit that. But, like, you know, this whole thing of, like, what, ha you know, what happens if there isn't proper bonding? You are not the only writer. Okay. <laughs> 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 you feel so much better that you're saying that to me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think it's um, I think it I think it's a secret world, but I think it's also um, I like to look at the connections between the secret world and the real world, or the world that we all accept, and where are there where are there bonds and where are there separations? Have either of you ever had an experience that you can't rationally explain? Every day, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Care to talk about it? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I can talk about one. Given the audience, it's kind of interesting. Um, I used to work at the summer camp. Uh, it's called a. Uh, um, hit. Do I have an escape lunatic? No, no. <laughs> I am the escape lunatic in the story. <laughs> um, and. Uh, uh, it's, it was a summer camp, and um, it was uh, started by these two really awesome people, Frank and Josephine Duvenek. Um, it's called Hidden Villa Summer Programs. And um, we used to take these kids on hikes and stuff and sleep up on this hill and whatever, and then hike them down the next day. Um, and I remember um, we were up on this hill, and this kid backed into a tree, and basically a stick went into the back of this kid's head. And me and my friend Herman were like, ah! <laughs> you know, and we had like one other person and we were like, okay, so what do we do? Like, you stay with the kids, we're gonna run down. I'm from New York City. Uh, Herman is from East Palo Alto. Um, we were running down and we got totally lost. <laughs> we got completely, and we're freaking out because we're like, there's a kid with a puncture wound in their head and we're lost. And I totally remember just this blue light just like over there being like, this way. Mm -hmm. And we we're like, cool. And we just like start running there. And, and then we're like, ah. And then it's like, this way. And we're like, and just kind of run da, da 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 And like, we made it down. And I was like, Herman, good job. He's like, I thought you were leading me. And I was like, I don't know. And then like, you know, two days later, we're like, you know what? We think it was Josephine, which is like the one of the, the women, the woman who started the camp. 
Um, so I've had stuff like that. Uh, like, I don't know what you call that. I kind of not don't think about it too much, except it was good. Yeah. And kind of put it in that scenario. I never had anything like that. I had one one weird thing where I was driving. We were driving out to meet some friends, and I saw something on the sidewalk, and I was like, wow, that is really weird. I have to remember to tell my friends when we get there. And then the next minute, I couldn't remember what it was. And I wish I could. I mean, I know it was, it was like one of those really weird things that would have just exploded my mind. Maybe it did. Maybe I just couldn't remember. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Never mind exploded. Yeah. Well, that's like, I was probably one of the characters in your book. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I like to. Well, I, I guess uh, uh, Tamara. Yeah, she could have been Tamara. Uh, could have been. I think it was Josephine. I um, think it was, you know, like just a really good person who looks out for kids. Mm. You know, I don't think that necessarily ends when you when you stop breathing. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been graced with people, two people who have written two, two of the best books I've read this year, I have to say, and I read a lot of damn books. <clears throat> it just, you know, pretty much gripped me and put me in a, a wonderful world that I didn't want to leave and really enjoy the prose and just, you know, these are books that when you read them you're, and you're done and you put them down, you'll still go back and remember parts of them. You can visit parts of them like they're a vacation you took. I mean, I can go to those, to, you know, some of those places in wine country. I can go be right there on, on the streets when, when that, then when, the really exciting event happens. I'm not going <laughs> to reveal <laughs> because I want people to read the book. So that's you know that's I think the the power of books. A book is that it's something that's way different from a movie or a video game or any other thing. When you read it, you put the effort into it, and what you take away from it is, as I say, like a memory of a really good or really exciting or really terrorizing vacation, and and that's a great thing. Lisa Goldstein, Aiz, Jama, Everett, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Finyan Smith. Finyan Smith. Finyan, give us some more of that music. Yeah. We need some outro music. It's called The Agony Column. You can find it at agonycolumn.com. I interview authors, and I, my, I only like one genre of books, which is books that are well-written and enjoyable. <laughs> I'm pretty good at filtering out crap, and there's a lot of it, and they send it to me. I got 20 books in the last two days, and most of them just went...
<laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sure there's somebody loves them, and there, everybody has a mother, and somebody, and every mother loves her child. And, but the, um, so you might find, or often they do. <laughs> Maybe not. Everybody has a mother. <laughs> I shouldn't have known better than to bring up the whole mother thing. Well, uh, you can find uh, it's a podcast. I podcast three or four times a week. And I have for the past eight years or so. So I have about well over a thousand podcasts. I talk to all sorts of different authors. So you might find an interview with Sue Grafton last week. This week it's an interview with David Mann, who uh, wrote a really terrorizing book about true crime, about the NIU school shooter. Um, Karen has graced my column a few times. Uh, I'm just interested in, as I say, in good books. I talked to the Van Gogh, guys who wrote the Van Gogh biography recently. Um, science fiction, fantasy horror, nonfiction, mystery, literature. I have regular um, conversations with Alan Chu's NPR. He and I are friends. So we talk about, he and I get together, and he gets to talk uh, about books and swear a lot. So, <laughs> get some issues. You can't do on it. He can't do that on NPR. He gets to say things about books that he cannot say on NPR. And so, you, you live locally? I live here locally, yeah. Oh, okay. I live over in Aptos by the cement boat. And we do these once a month. So just keep track of uh, Capitola Book Cafe. And I have a show on KUSP, too. It's on Sunday nights from 6 to 7. And let's see who else. I have talked with Thomas Frank a lot. He's a wrote a book called What's the Matter with Kansas and uh, The Wrecking Crew. And he, he and I, he's got a new article out in Harper's now called um, More Government Please. And he just comes right out and says we need a new WPA to get out of this uh, recession, not these kind of insane uh, budget cuts. And he and I have a lot of fun. And again, since this is all podcast, we can say whatever the heck we want. So it's a lot of fun. And I'd love to have you guys. You can just log on. There's literally thousands of things to, to download and kind of go back to the past. Karen is. Sorry, two of my bosses were are back there. Right now. <laughs> my former bosses. <laughs> I just went behind them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was. I mean, we never lost ourselves, so we know. Yeah, that's right. Oh no, it's still recording, actually. <laughs> I would just like to say the face. No, yeah, um, I think I think I think he was okay. I didn't, he didn't come back to camp. I know that much, but well, the kind of thing might put you off camp. <laughs> I think he came back next year. Huh? It's a really, really? nice camp. Huh? I guess so. Exactly. Not bad. Yeah. Camp stick in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Very pretty music. It's absolutely superb. Yeah. Oh, my husband's gonna be so mad he wasn't here. I think he's, he's really into music. Oh, really? So maybe I'll have him. I'll have him listen. Well, um, I think uh, he's gonna send me some MP3s. 
and okay. I will forward up to but you. But this too. is going to be in, oh, in yeah. the podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I haven't even turned off the music yet, the machine yet. So I'm going to have him listen to this because yeah. he, he, he doesn't like, you know, readings and science fiction. and oh. But, you know, music. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> so he'll be a little annoyed if he wasn't here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. You guys were great. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.